Folks, do you love movies? The good ones? Even the bad ones everyone told you not to like? It sounds like Super Yaki is the place for you. The team at Super Yaki loves movies, so much that they've dedicated every waking moment of their life to bringing you top-quality merchandise to showcase your love for them. From super soft t-shirts advocating for the immediate production of a third national treasure, to hats celebrating John Carpenter's musical endeavors, to comfy sweatshirts that serve as a call to arms for all those in support of making Judy Greer America's lead. They even have pins of some of your favorite directors, like Sofia Coppola, Jordan Peele. Super Yaki joyously brings you tangible love letters to movies and filmmakers that you can wear with pride. Plus, the team at Superyaki screen prints all their apparel using eco-friendly, 100% water-based inks and ships with compostable poly mailers for an environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping. And hey, as a special gift to you, Monsters Never Die listeners, you can now save 10% on your order with the code SUPERMONSTER. That's all caps, no little letters. At checkout, if the spirit moves you, Head on over to superyaki.com. Let's watch more movies. Good evening, and welcome back to Monsters Never Die, Talk Film Society's spooky podcast where Jacob and I discuss classic monsters, human or otherwise, as well as their sequels, remakes, and ripoffs. I am one of your co-hosts, Matt Curione, human at large, over at Talk Film Society, and with me, as always, is... Jacob DeNoble. Hello, Matt. Hi. It's... To see you again. It is. We are seeing each other through the internet to do a podcast on Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Uh, I had to get those pods out of my room. How the hell are you, sir? I'm, I'm doing great. I am not a pod person. Ooh. I have most of my emotions that most. I'm supposed to have. Most. Minus, you know, whatever ones were shaken out of me yes. when I was young. And we've got four really fun, exciting movies to talk about tonight. We do. We're going to be talking about Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Now, this is a really cool series because each one takes place, you know, in a different setting and has a different take on the material, which is pretty Mm -hmm. damn cool. Usually don't get that with uh, a bunch of different uh, remakes. I love this series. I've always dug this series. And... I'm super excited to talk about it. And uh, what movie are we starting out with? We are buddy? starting out with Don Siegel's classic 1956 paranoia horror film, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, uh, starring Kevin McCarthy, Dana Winter, Larry Gates, King Donovan. Uh, this movie rules. It pretty much gave us Kevin McCarthy, like as, as we know him. What a, what a treasure! That oh is. my goodness, I uh, love this movie. I love that. Don Siegel took what was basically, you know, a, uh, a, a fun little sci-fi short story and turned it into basically Cold War Paranoia, the movie. Uh, yeah, I love it. Uh, yeah, it's a fantastic story. Um, just to give you a brief hook, um, because thankfully this will be really the only plot we have to discuss the entire episode because they all follow kind of the same yeah. basic structure. 
Um, we got alien spores coming down from space. Mm-hmm. These spores grow into pods. When you fall asleep, the pods grow a duplicate of you. And uh, when the pod hatches, you die and the duplicate takes over with all of your memories, but none of your emotions. Creepy. The only way to avoid becoming a pod is not to fall asleep. Yeah. And the pods all share kind of a... They don't necessarily share a hive mind, but they have the same ambitions, they have the same goals, and they are all working together, yes. and specifically working against you, the human. The human being. Uh, this movie, I really love how it's a good take on McCarthyism at the time. I think... Uh, oh, sorry, continue. No, go on. Uh, I was going to say, I, I think one of the interesting things about it is, if you read interviews with everybody, they all insist that... This wasn't written with a particular political lens in mind. This was more about (laughs) the idea of conformity. Kevin McCarthy sees it very much as like, this is a take on consumerism Mm -hmm. and on um, like advertising and the conformity of the 1950s that went along with like white flight and the birth of suburbia. But looking at Um, it now. Well, that's, that's what's so interesting about it is that you can really read it one of two ways and i think it supports either reading and you can look at it as as a critique of mccarthyism as a critique of huac as a critique of kind of this Mm anti-communist hysteria that was going on somewhere or you can honestly read it as a critique of communism yes where the pods represent communists and honestly i think the text might even support that slightly more i know the novel definitely does where the pods are very the pod people have no ambition and they're okay. very like the whole idea is that when you become a pod, you kind of lose any interest in anything. And then the world kind of crumbles around you. And Jack Finney, who wrote the novel again, says he was not thinking about communism when he wrote it. He was thinking about conformity, but I think he was tapping into a zeitgeist of maybe discussion about what people considered communism yeah. and communists to be at the time. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you look at any two or three people involved with the film, you're going to get two or three completely different reads. Um, Don Siegel's uh, biographer and uh, assistant says that he always saw it as just just a very straight metaphor for his own insomnia. Okay. <laughs> he that was works. like, I, I've, I've never been able to sleep. And this is a movie about, this is a horror movie about not being able to sleep. This yep. is perfect for me. Yeah, the, the pod people are basically the original Freddy Krueger, if you think about it. Yeah, and that's always been a concept that has scared me ever since I was a kid. Um, and don't worry, listener, funny, like, listeners, we will talk about him one day, just not today. <laughs> I the idea of sleep being something that kills yes. or is the like origin of your downfall has always been so scary to me because it's like the one thing you absolutely cannot avoid doing. And it's something it's, that I love doing. Yes. <laughs> like I'm good at it. I'm good at taking naps. Like I love sleeping. It's one of my pastimes and to not be able to do that or, you know, turn into a pod person. I don't know. I might want to pod it up, Jacob. I don't know. Apparently, everyone involved in the movie really hated the title. They thought it was a bad title. Um, the book is just called The Body Snatchers, okay. um, but there's The Body Snatcher with uh, Boris Karloff. Mm-hmm. It's a 1940s horror movie, ah. and they were afraid for that, like, they were afraid that it would be confused, so because it was the 50s, they threw Invasion of the in front of it. Yeah, and then you make it into but, like a sci-fi classic that way. Yeah. Apparently, the title that uh, Don Siegel wanted was one that Kevin McCarthy came up with on the set. And that was Sleep No More, Ooh. which is a good title like and also kind of 
<laughs> supports the theory that Don Siegel really only saw this from a very yes. particular lens. Um, Real quick, I want to. He's an interesting. I want to. I want to yeah, talk yeah. about Don Siegel. Yeah, he's. I was just about to say he is an interesting guy. Uh, I really like uh, the movies of his that I have seen. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love Dirty Harry. I mm-hmm. love this. I love Charlie Varick. If you've seen that one, mm-hmm. have you seen that? I have not. Okay, uh, Charlie Varick is basically a less depressing No Country for Old Men, but made in the <laughs> '70s with Walter Matthau as a bank robber who gets who accidentally robs a mob bank. Oh, and. Jodan Baker is basically the Javier Bardem part. That sounds amazing. Uh, hot on his tail, like trying to hunt down Walter Matthau. Mm-hmm. Uh, Walter Matthau, another side tangent, did a really great three movie run in the seventies of where it was Walter Matthau action star. Love him, <laughs> and that's a very bizarre sentence to say, mm-hmm. but I love it. Uh, he did this. Uh, He did The Laughing Policeman with uh, Bruce Dern. And then, of course, he did The Taking of Pelham 123, which is the best of the three. Yeah. Yeah. He was great in the 70s during that that three-movie run run where you had Walter Matthau, action star. What a a sentence. (laughs) Back in the 70s, you did not need to have literally any physicality to be an action star you no. just had to have a kind of fucked up face yes and walter <laughs> matthau had that and, and it was bl- great bless him for it everybody but, uh... has, is so charismatic looking siegel is one of the reasons i i have a hard time buying this completely as a um anti-mccarthyist movie because i don't I, I don't know much about his own personal leanings but like mm. compared to like dirty harry which is like great movie but like one of the most right-wing kind of fantasies that you could possibly have i just have a hard time seeing him going and like all right gonna really protect those commies in this one yeah right but but it's interesting um the producer walter wanger not to be confused with walter wagner who is the guy who he notarized hitler's wedding to eva braun that's just a yikes fact (laughs) that i found out when i spelled walter wanger's name wrong in my notes and then tried to google him (laughs) whoops but uh, the producer, he was an extremely like liberal, communist-leaning producer. He um, famously denounced the Motion Picture Alliance for the Preservation of American Ideals, which was Good. this conservative <laughs> group formed in 1944. And they were like the main figures behind the House on American Activities um, Committee that was trying to find the communists in Hollywood. Great people. And yeah, yeah. And the, the major figures in the Motion Picture Alliance were uh, included Walt Disney, who uh, was mostly amply communist out of selfish reasons because he was trying to union bust at his own studio. Mm -hmm. Um, Other great names were Ronald Reagan, Ayn Rand, John Wayne, and a real who's who's of shitheads. (laughs) Fucking Christ. All right. Um, I I, I do want to get just a little into the historical context because though this movie's not necessarily a direct reaction to it, I think it's definitely made in that general vein and you can read a lot of it into it. Um, so I mentioned, you know, the House on American Activities Committee. That was kind of the group that was, they were separate from Joseph McCarthy, who worked in the Senate and chaired the com- Government Operations mm-hmm. Committee. But um, HUAC had a, had a broader scope and impact. But for our purposes here, they were the ones who really spearheaded the Hollywood blacklist, trying to rat out the Hollywood communists. Mm-hmm. And um, in that, more than 300 artists were eventually boycotted by studios over like a 10-year period, uh, including Charlie Chaplin and Orson Welles, who both ended up fleeing the country just to avoid yep. it. 
And so this movie comes in right at the tail end of the blacklist. You're about 10 years in. It's going to crumble maybe about a year after this comes out. And I say all this because Wanger, he was known for producing socially conscious films and message movies. And this was outside of his normal wheelhouse to make a picture like this. He was generally making stuff that was very political and very on, you know, on the nose. He made what is considered to be like one of the great uh, anti-capital punishment movies. And so there is a part of me that wonders what he thought of this script when he, what he thought of this novel when he optioned it. Maybe this was something that was going through his mind. Maybe this was something that he was considering. Because I think one of the strengths of this movie is that because it is the allegory in it is not direct and it's so subtle, you can read so much into it and you can make so many yeah. of these connections. And I think that's exciting and fun. And honestly, I don't, I don't think it loses anything no matter what direction you read it. I totally agree. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. I mean, yeah, this, uh, this movie's damn good. And you watched it on the Arrow Blu-ray, am I correct? I, mean, uh, the, I watched uh, it on the Olive, Olive, Olive yeah. Blu-ray. Yes. And uh, it, great looking film. It was shot in, I believe it's called Super Scope. Okay. Which um, is essentially just a blown up print that they then chop the top and bottom off to create a two to one ratio. So it's a, it's an odd, okay. it's an odd framing, but um, it, it's essentially like a, it's almost like a widescreen pan and scan. Yeah, it um, works. Yeah, yeah, it's great. What do, what do you think of the effects in this? I, I love the pods so much. I love the pods, yeah. The pods look really cool, and they're still creepy. Uh, I love the pods. All these years later. Yeah, like, the, the sound effects are terrific. Like, the sound design overall in this movie is great. I I love the visuals. I love... God, those practical little pods are just so cool. And it wouldn't be the last time we see Kevin McCarthy with those pods. No, because he... he he does a cameo in Looney Tunes back in action. They go to Area 51 and the movie's a, it's a, it's in color, but he's in black and white holding a pod and it's the coolest cameo in that movie. That's so good. We have to hit our Joe Dante question. Every you time. thought I was going somewhere else, didn't you? I did think you were going somewhere else. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah, no, he's, he's great in that. Um, he's Matt. terrific. Yes. Did you know that the Catholic National Legion of Decency tried to have this movie banned? I did not know that, but I could have guessed. Well, I, tell me what, why. Don't they tell try me to why have you think they tried to ban this movie. Because the pod people don't have religion? Nope. They didn't really? like the light treatment of marriage because <laughs> both of our main characters are divorced. Oh. And That's stupid. <laughs> I, I love because it's 19... 19- 56 the main way that the main reference to divorce and the way that the audience finds out that they're divorced is solely in the line i took a short trip to reno and (laughs) so they both say that to each other and then they're like oh i'm so sorry you couldn't make it work because back then reno had uh lighter divorce laws and everywhere else it was easier to get divorced there than it was in the rest of the country very interesting yeah, when Dana Winter and Kevin McCarthy like first meet up and they meant they just both mentioned, Oh yeah, I just got back from a trip to Reno and then immediately transitioned into talking about a breakup. <laughs> I think without that knowledge, that's a very confusing scene. But it's Interesting. Yeah, the Catholics hated it. <laughs> so I mean I figured they were divorced, but I didn't know I didn't get that reference. That's good. Yep. Interesting. What I love the end of this movie. I love the 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 caves that they end up. I love the pods. Yeah. That where he goes out and he sees all the pods. I love that it's tragic 
Tell, tell me about the ending of this movie, Matt. It's so good. Uh, the, the ending is terrific. I love... I love Kevin McCarthy in the middle of a highway screaming his head off. Mm-hmm. Uh, just screaming, you know, you're next, you're next, they're here, they're here. And that's how I always remember the movie ending. I forget that they have the little coda at the end. And that was added later. That Yes. The original ending later. is him. Yeah. And the original ending is the bleak ending. <laughs> yes. And I would say, I do think the coda doesn't really make it any less bleak. But you like, can read it as a happy ending if you want. If the movie if upset you. If you're really you, trying. <laughs> if, if the movie upset you and you were like, oh, I wish everything turned out okay in the end, you can read that, that coda as, oh, okay, good. Or yeah. you can read it as, oh, no, there's no hope here. It really, it all depends on if you listen to the lines of dialogue where the military men are like, we're going to handle this, don't worry. Or if yeah. you look at the absolute horror on Kevin McCarthy's face yes. because he knows that that's fucked anyway. Oof. So, of course, um, this bring, that. I guess that's all there is to say about 56. Yeah, it's it's a great movie and it's a classic for a reason and I'm glad that it exists because it also gave us this next movie which I oh think my is God. a top this to is, bottom masterpiece. This is one of my favorite movies of all time it is uh, Felt Kaufman's 1978 version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Now, this movie is phenomenal. Uh, it stars Donald Sutherland, uh, Brooke Adams, Leonard Nimoy, right before he got roped back into playing Spock again, uh, Veronica Cartwright, uh, I'm pretty sure this movie is what got her alien, and uh, Jeff Goldblum. And this movie is fantastic. It is creepy. Uh, real quick, when did you first see this? I first saw this in college. I was just kind of trying to check off all of my like horror blind spots, and this was one of them then. Okay, I bought the uh, Scream Factory Blu-ray when it came out. Mm -hmm. uh, it's currently out of print, which is a, a damn shame. Uh, but I first watched this a few months before the 2016 election. Oh, God. Yeah, okay. So the whole time, uh, I was very nervous watching this movie. Uh, didn't really know what was going to happen. Uh, and then... I watched, then I watched it again right after the election, and oh wow, it's real. This is world. This is the world right now. It's horrifying. Uh, you like we said about the the fifty six version. You can read into these movies any damn way you please, and it works. Mm -hmm. uh, just imagine four years ago. Not a care in the world. <laughs> and you're watching this and you're and about half an hour in you go, oh, 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 uh, this movie is terrifying. It is probably next to something like All the President's Men, the most paranoid movie of the 70s. I hate throwing around the word perfect, but it might be. It's. I think it's one of the most effective horror movies of all time. It is it so truly is. unnerving and disturbing. Ugh. And I think a lot of it actually just has to do with the sound design in this movie. Oh my um, god, yes. That, they have Ben that, Burt. That horribly, horribly creepy sound. All of the horrible creepy sounds. You have the, the pulsating of the pod. Yes. Which is apparently Ben Burt's wife. Um, she was pregnant at the time. And so it's a fetus yes. in her tummy. 
It's her ultrasound, um, right? Yeah. Yeah. There yeah, yeah, is yeah. the screams of oh. the of the pod people. No thanks. Um, Hard pass. One of the interesting decisions they make is, early, like, in the beginning of the movie, you have all of the sound layered in that you would normally have in a movie. And as the movie goes on, they start to strip away birds in the mm-hmm. background. They strip away yes, ambient that. noises. It's just pod noises by the end of the movie. That's such a great idea and such a great yeah. way to ratchet up the tension. Uh, actually, you, about the, the removing sounds, I watched this with uh, a friend of mine the other night. He had mm-hmm. never seen it. Uh, this was his first time seeing it. And then about halfway through, he's like, wow, it is getting really quiet, isn't it? Uh, all I hear is that horrible pulsating noise. And this is really creeping me out. Uh, he actually, early on, when you see the uh, the guy with his dog and the banjo, mm-hmm. he's like, oh, something's going to happen with them, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> see, the thing is, uh, he knew the ending. Yeah. I mean, it's hard not to because it's a meme. <laughs> That's what he said. He's like, I know the ending because of the meme, but I don't know the journey. Yeah. I was like, okay, well, just sit back, relax, if you can. And uh, yeah, let's watch this. And he was blown away. He loved it. And I don't think, I don't think you can not like this movie. I don't understand how you could. Uh, Really smart choice making Donald Sutherland play a health inspector who, you know, is someone that people usually just all hate anyway. (laughs) I... (laughs) <laughs> Matt, like, I think that is very much you working in a coffee shop coming out here. No, not really. No, just they always get a bad reputation. Yeah. And I, uh, Brooke Adams is like his like, assistant, kind of, were, but also Were they love. just pumping out women who looked like that in the 70s? Because that's, she Karen, looks, that's Karen Allen, right? I, she looks exactly like Karen Allen. She looks exactly <laughs> like, um, from Suspiria, <laughs> Jessica Harper. Yes. Like... <laughs> What was going on? What was in the water in the 70s? Was like, those the only was actresses like, available? I couldn't remember her name when I was like, yeah, it's Karen Allen. No, no, it's Jessica Harper. No, it's Jesus. Oh, Brooke Adams. Yes, sure. Okay. They all look the same because yeah. they're all pod people, Jacob. <laughs> she's so you know good this. in this, though. Oh, she's I, terrific. Um, love her. Her and her very distant boyfriend. Yes. Uh, no, I'm just going out to a meeting and always wearing my suit, my human suit. Everything's great. <laughs> Don't worry. I I love so much that the cast in this, they all feel like real people and they feel like real San Francisco liberals. Like they feel like specific people. They don't feel like generic people. Like I've met these adults. I've met people who go to these parties, who go to like book launches of pop psychologists and talk about Uh, bullshit and maybe buy into some conspiracies and they're you know smart in the ways that people are smart and dumb in the way people are dumb speaking of pop psychologists we have to talk about leonard nimoy and his weird non-glove so good he is so good in this he wears like an archer's glove it's based on a friend of his who had carpal tunnel apparently that i read something totally different oh what did you read i read he had a friend who had a burn on his hand and he would wear that glove to cover the burn Oh, interesting. Yeah, hmm. but he just used it because it, he thought it looked quirky and interesting. Yeah. He's like, it'll set my character apart. And, and I mean, it it's it's kind of, you don't really need that because you're Leonard Nimoy. People know you. And yeah. it's pretty easy to set you apart from anyone else. Actually, I really love him here. Yeah, he's uh, great. He's terrific. Uh, and when that turn happens, you're just like, oh, God. Like, it's, it's so unnerving. Uh, 
really love Leonard Nimoy here. I love the duo of Jeff Goldblum and Veronica Cartwright running oh, their running the mud baths. They are so I, good. They are great together. Uh, they feel like a couple. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't get that often. Like you'll have like in any horror movie or any movie, like these people are supposed to be dating for a while, and you sh- sometimes normally you don't get that feeling, but you feel like oh no, these these were like. They were high school sweethearts. They stuck together. They, they feel like young hipsters who run a mud bath together. Run a fucking mud bath. Uh, love Veronica Cartwright here. Oh, she's so uh, good. We'll talk about her some more later. Um, but absolutely love her here. Uh, it's obvious that, you know, Ridley Scott saw her in this and was like, yes, get her for my movie called Alien. She's yep. she's got a she's got a great scream. I want that scream in my movie. Yep. Because she, I mean, she, it's, this is not her first rodeo doing a horror film. Uh, coincidentally, this week, I also watched The Birds. Oh, good movie. And she's terrific there. I think she was only like 12 when she worked with Hitchcock in that. Oh, shit. I didn't realize she was yeah, in that. She's, have you, have you ever seen it? Yeah. Yeah, she's the young girl that, you know, Tippy Hedren wow. like buys the birds for. Yeah, yeah, right. that's Veronica Cartwright. Very young Veronica Cartwright getting to work with, you know, Tippy Hedren and, uh, Alfred Hitchcock getting attacked by a bunch of terrifying birds. I don't like that yeah. movie. It's, it scares me. I don't like. <laughs> I don't. I don't like birds like normally because I think they're like show offs. Like, oh, I can fly. I have <laughs> hollow bones. Well, good for you, bird. I don't. Uh, but like in that movie, they're like legitimately scary, and I don't care for them. I, uh, I'm learning so much about you, Matt. <laughs> that's what the podcast is for, Jacob. So people can. That's learn what about the my... podcast. Yes. <laughs> this is a podcast, Matt. <laughs> My debilitating fears. Um one way one day we'll do an episode of uh on killer on like spiders and I'll just uh be quiet the whole time because I don't want to scream and run out of the room. <laughs> uh, I yeah, like no, this movie's great. Uh something really creepy that I didn't put two and two together that all the other times I saw this. I don't like that they turn into hair. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much hair in this movie. Yeah, it's like it's so well, I good. guess when the the body dissolves, it just dissolves into like a clump of hair, and it's the most vile, disgusting thing. I I loved. It. I think this is the only one of the four that you really get a concrete idea of what the life cycle of the pod yes. is. Yes. In the opening, you see the gel come down and it latches onto the plants. You see it fantastic you know, reach onto the plants. There, by the yes. way, the the gel floating through space. Oh yeah, so good. It's so oh cheap and easy to do. It was just... easy to do. He just went to like some craft store and found like gel. Yep. And he's um, like, "Well, let's see what happens when you put this in water." Okay. I like that the life cycle of the pot is steadily revealed throughout the movie, so you never yes. really have a full idea of how it works until the very end when you see Brooke Adams cl- like crumble into dust in Ugh. Donald Sutherland's arms. And that is a heartbreaking and such a sad and creepy moment. It's terrifying. Like, also, I, I, and honestly, watching it, for some reason, I always forget that happens. Yeah. And I'm always like, oh, oh no! <laughs> it's, it, and it, it makes so much more sense than in the 50s one, where, um, Dana Winters becomes a pod in his arms and yes. just wakes up as a pod, even mm-hmm. though it's a separate body earlier. It's, that's the one part of the original movie that I just do not understand at all. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense that the the pod people grow a second body, but then when you fall asleep, your body turns into that body somehow. 
teleportation like, somehow. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. But uh, uh, real quick, I want to talk about uh, the cameos in this movie. So, so many and so good. Uh, mainly, I want to talk about uh, Kevin McCarthy basically mm-hmm. playing his character from the 56 version. You see, he was running for 22 years. <laughs> uh, he was running for 22 years and he caught up with Donald Sutherland and Brooke Adams. Yeah, uh, until he gets hit by Donald Sutherland driving a car. Yes. Uh, insane stuff. Love him here. That's a that's a lovely cameo. I really like Don Siegel's cameo mm-hmm. as the taxi driver. He's like, where are you going? What, 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 uh... What airline you taking? Oh, we're picking someone up. Oh, I'm going to rat you out now. <laughs> I, I, One of the things I love about this movie and I love about his cameo is that I think some of these movies, they go a little overboard with stripping the emotion out of the pods. But yes. in this movie, it is impossible. It's not impossible, but it's hard to tell who is a pod and when. They keep enough yes. of their humanity. And I think that makes them so much creepier than the people mm-hmm. who just have the completely flat affect. Like, yes. I am unclear when exactly Leonard Nimoy becomes a pod. Uh-huh. There's never a there's not a clear signifying moment where he he could be lying to protect the pods or he could just honestly not believe them. It's or hard he could have been tell. a or yeah, or he could have been a pod the entire time. Yeah. Throughout the That's, entire film. Um uh, really good stuff. Real quick. Yeah. Can we talk about Denny Zeitlin's score? Oh my god, it's so and good. How it is a phenomenally smart thing that Philip Kaufman did. He said to himself, I know this jazz musician. I want him to score my big budget remake of a sci-fi classic. He comes in, he does his score, and it's the only film score he ever does. The only one he needed to do. <laughs> exactly. What a fantastic uh, the motifs in this movie, I I love how, like, even from the beginning, he's got that big score coming in, and then he's got, like, weird synth here and there. It is a very unnerving musical score. Yeah. And it works so perfectly for this movie. I don't think the movie would be nearly as effective without his score. No, no, definitely not. And I also love, I think this is one of the best shot horror movies, too. Kaufman, it's gorgeous. He knows when to be voyeuristic. He knows when to shoot things from outside. There's so many scenes where the camera is outside of the room where the people are. And yes. we are essentially spying on them. There are scenes where he's, it he's, knows. He's, he was, Kaufman was smart. He got the guy who shot Taxi Driver. Yeah. Uh, he, <laughs> he, he got Michael Chapman who shot Taxi Driver. And he basically was like, I need these street level views yeah it and knows when to be high level hell. street level and it, oh, yes. oh it works so well this movie is gorgeous uh god damn kaufman is good i need to see more of his movies it's i i just i i love because there are moments where the camera is completely still and it knows what those moments need to be and then there are moments where it's completely handheld and it knows what those moments need to be and it's it's never style on top of substance. It's always style as substance, and it's always so good. That's one of my favorite phrases. Style as substance. Mm-hmm. I love it. And yeah, Michael Chapman's great. He's one of my favorite cinematographers. I mean, dude shot Taxi Driver and Raging Bull. So, I mean, dude, know, he knows what he's doing. 
this movie god damn this movie's good sorry listeners that we're just gushing about these movies no i i mean Uh, a that will stop but uh b oh it's gonna stop in a couple minutes um i legitimately want to watch this movie again right now and i just watched it last week for this twice yeah it's uh it's terrific i adore this uh it's a damn shame that that scream factory blu-ray is out of print and it's, um, it's going for like yep. eighty dollars right now. <laughs> I I snagged it right after it went out of print from a you comic shop bastard. in New York. And well done. I I I I am so glad. I was looking at just Scream print factories out of like going out of print sale. Yeah. I noticed it went out of print and immediately just started searching. What stores have this? Do yeah. not know it's out of print yet, and will ship it to me now. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't know this? It was. It was. Mm, so, yeah, fantastic movie. So paranoid. So very paranoid. My goodness. Uh, yeah, I don't think we can gush any more about this movie. Yeah, let's let's move on to a a movie that I I find the titling of this franchise interesting because we have two movies called Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And yes. then we have body snatchers. Yes. And then later we will get to the invasion. And it's like they're just kind of exploring, like, all right, what parts of this title what can, can we, we take? do? The next remake will just be called Of The. I, I would definitely buy a ticket to, to see Of The. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, Abel Ferrara's 1993 horror film, Body Snatchers. And this one uh, stars Gabriel Anwar, Terry Kinney, Billy Worth, uh, Forrest Whitaker, uh, Arlie Ermey, uh, Meg Tilly. Uh, uh, Meg Tilly. This movie for years was hyped up to me, like like crazy. Like people I, I I know say that oh it's the best one, blah blah blah. Those people are crazy. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I enjoyed I, it. I do not know how you take that. Like I don't that. know how you think this is the best one. It's quite good. It's creepy. Uh, the practical effects are gross. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. It's just, yeah. Performances are great. It's just, it's missing something Mm -hmm. that I can't really put my finger on. It's good. Yeah. It's just, it's not, eh, it's, it's fine. I told you the gushing would end. (laughs) It, it doesn't (laughs) take its time the way that Kaufman's does and the way that the original does it within the first 30 minutes, we already have pod people there's never a sense of that creeping paranoia. There's never a sense of things going on on the outside of the frame that yeah. we aren't necessarily privy to, which is what I think Kaufman does so well. There's that scene early on, not to gush about that movie again, but mm-hmm. where um, Donald Sutherland and Brooke Adams are walking through and in the background, there's a man pressed up against a frosted glass window staring at them. And the camera doesn't stop on him. The camera doesn't even pay any attention to him. But if you notice him, it's so unnerving. Yes. And oh, Jesus. With the, uh, Real quick, with the 78, we didn't even talk about Robert Duvall. He pops <laughs> up. Yes, Robert Duvall. He pops up as apparently the first pod person. A priest swinging on a children's mm-hmm. swing set. Which... We also didn't talk about Dog Man. <laughs> Wait, yes, there is also a Dog Man. And There's a Dog is, Man. And he or Man Dog. A... <laughs> I guess and, the man dog. 
Yeah, and when the man dog appears, Banjo, played by Jerry Garcia of the Grateful Dead, happens. Which is, <laughs> it's I don't know, I don't know why they were like, oh, we need Jerry Garcia to do this. For we need us. Jerry. Well, it takes place in San Francisco. It's a hippie capital. I guess it's okay. Uh, back to Abel Ferrara. Yeah, back to this movie, which you can already <laughs> tell we don't necessarily want to talk about as much. It's fine. Yeah. Um. So I think the struggle with this movie is that. Abel Ferrara did not want to make the movie that he was given to make. Um, yes. The original idea was by Larry Cohen, the uh, trash god who made Q the, the Winged Serpent, It's Alive, The Stuff, which is essentially Invasion of the Body Snatchers with a slightly new with ice cream on it. <laughs> and Larry Cohen is the guy who set this on a military base, and he wrote a draft that was largely thrown out, but Warner Brothers bought it and they liked the setting. So then they gave it to Stuart Gordon Stuart and Gordon, his collaborator. <laughs> yeah, Dennis Paoli. And they, you know, they worked on Reanimator. They've worked on all of Gordon's films together. And they wrote a draft. And then Abel Ferrara's writer, Nicholas St. John, and Ferrara himself took a crack at it. And Ferrara had said that he thought a military base was the dumbest possible place you could set a pod people <laughs> movie because people are already pods there. Yes. And... <laughs> I think he's thinking dramatically and not thematically mm-hmm. because dramatically speaking, he is right. You know, there's not a lot of room for that creeping dread on a military base because everybody is already a pod person. Yeah. But I don't think this movie takes enough advantage of the military base, which I think could make a really good, like there are so many interesting things to say with a military setting for the pod yeah. people. And I would love to see a, I'd love to see an invasion of the body snatchers that takes place in an active war zone. That would be cool. Like to have a movie where you are essentially people, you could talk about the dehumanization of military structure. You could talk about the othering of people, the way violence is codified into life. And you could do all of that both thematically through the pod people and dramatically with the setting. And I think if they had pushed it further, it would have been more interesting, but because Abel Ferrara didn't really like it, he pulls back. Mm-hmm. And so our main yeah. characters aren't military people. And yeah. the military is really just kind of a backdrop for this family drama, which is still interesting and good. I like when she talks about her stepmom coming in and taking the place of her mom. I think that's a cool moment and an yes. interesting way to tie in the pod people. But they don't really Speaking do anything of with stepmom. that. Oh, tell, talk Meg about Tilly. Meg Tilly. Oh, my God. She's terrific. I really, I always like her. I always think she, that she's terrific. Uh, she doesn't have much screen time in this. The crime. But she really brings it. If, she sells this 1,000%. If there is a reason to see this movie, it is because of Meg Tilly's performance. Yes. She's, and, she's terrific. And the movie knows it. Her speech, where you gonna go, what are you gonna do, there's no mm-hmm. one left... They use that as the main trailer hook. They use that as the clip on Rod- on e- Siskel and Ebert. They <laughs> replay it at the end of the movie because they don't have an ending. <laughs> and it's like... Yeah, yeah, that's another thing with this movie. There's no ending. I mean, it's it's fine. They blow up the pods, but then they're like, but maybe we're still pods. It's like, yeah. okay, great. You did, like, I don't we know. got rid of the pods, but maybe we didn't. <laughs> yeah, th- th- there's no... It's neither happy nor sad it's just like mm. all right I, I guess uh this movie does have a terrific one-liner 
What's the one-liner you like? Uh, hey, Tim, I fucked your girlfriend. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I'd call that a one-liner, but that is a, it's, I it's do a pretty, like it's, that. It's a pretty good line. Yeah, it's the pod trying to test someone to see if they're also yes. a pod, and to yeah. see if he has an emotional reaction to it. Yes. And um, when we get to it, the invasion has a really great version of that scene, but that that is a, that's a good line. I like that. I, uh, but yeah, it's fine. Why doesn't Meg Tilly come back at the end? She am was I, off doing another movie. <laughs> well, am I crazy? Like, she left already. Her character doesn't die, right? Uh, no. You yeah, she's basically just, just don't see her anymore. She screams and points and is never seen again. And why the fuck is she not yeah. the main villain? Why is she not yeah. the main person you're going against the end? Why is but I gotta say, I'm a big fan of her. Oh, uh, yeah. Anytime I've seen her in a movie, I, I really love her in Psycho 2. She is fantastic in Psycho 2. I love her in that. I really like her in The Two Jakes. She's mm, ter- mm-hmm. terrific in that movie. I love her. Yeah. Watching this made me really want a movie where her and Jennifer Tilly are both supernatural killers. Yes, please. I I mean, come on. Let's, it's that would it would be fun. Be so, they're so good. And I think they'd play off each other interestingly because they have very mm-hmm. different screen personas. Yes. Just get Meg Tilly and Jennifer Tilly in a movie together, please. Yeah, please do. Uh, yeah, I dug this. Yeah, it. Yeah, we. I think we've talked bad about it a lot, but like, there are. I would say at but least. But it's pretty. It's four it's not different. Great, but it's pretty cool. There are at least four different sequences that are genuinely creepy and genuinely exciting. Um, anytime the pods are taking over a person, it's amazing because they they shoot those tendrils into your face to show them like sucking the life force out of you. So it's creepy. creepy. Um, uh, I like Forrest Whitaker in this. <laughs> he's okay he's he basically plays the johnny exposition and i really like him yep yeah he's um he has a less successful callback to a line from um the philip kaufman one which mm. you know not to keep drawing back but the movie keeps drawing back to it's pretty where good. He's, he he calls somebody and he's like how do you know my name i didn't give you my name and like, yes yes that's such a great scene when donald sutherland does it but because yeah we've seen Forrest Whitaker happened earlier in the movie and he's already a big weirdo. It's like, okay, I don't and yeah. okay, great. Um yeah, I like, it's, it's I like Arlie Ermy. He's pretty good in what he does. Uh great it, facial hair. It it's interesting. So he's playing either he's playing both into and against type in an interesting yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Because they're like, okay, well, we have Arlie Ermy. And when he's human, he's going to do the Arlie Ermy thing. And then when he's a pod, he has to do the opposite. Yes. I don't know if he has the range to handle the pod. <laughs> Hearing Arlie Ermy just like try and talk as if he is completely emotionless. Just, I don't know. It might just be uh, expectation, but it triggered. I was like, I, I don't know if I buy this. He plays against uh, type really well in seven. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, as like the, the police chief. He's yeah actually really good and i think that might actually be my favorite arlie ermy performance i do like <laughs> the climax of this movie is a slight... lot of explosions well uh, before that what i would consider the climax <laughs> is the child attacking them in the helicopter okay that was awesome that by was the way. so good <laughs> uh i was like oh they're gonna throw this kid out of oh yes they did they threw yeah, that they... kid out of a helicopter fantastic I... 
I wish they had had the moral fortitude to just leave it on that long shot of the small body <laughs> falling. Because that is so creepy and compelling. Yeah. It, like, it looks like a body falling out. Because then they cut to an obvious process shot where the yes. kid's like doing the scream that they stole from the Philip Kaufman one. And yes. is not done as well because they don't have Ben Burt doing the sound. Exactly. And like, I like that conceptually, but the process, like... It's just bad compositing, and so it, yeah. it takes away from that moment a little. But it's a cool moment. It's a cool moment, but I just, I do love seeing that dummy child fly out of a helicopter. <laughs> it's, it's, it's terrific. It's, I, I mean, I guess that's kind of fucked up for us to say, but you know. Ah, it's, it's fine. It's a horror Shade, podcast. Shades of the Blob, where they, you know, kill kids. Yep. And I love the Blob. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also... I like the infirmary scene where they have all the beds set up and they no, are potting everybody. That's such a creepy good scene. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, 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 overall, it's it's fine. It's got some flashes of brilliance. It's got some great gore. Yeah, I, uh, I think I, her people... turning into a pod while she's in a in the bathtub. So good. Uh, it gave me like it reminded me of Nightmare on Elm Street actually, like when Nancy's in the tub. Mm-hmm. Uh, creepy, creepy stuff. And I love how the pod falls. At, like they just put the pod in a bad place because it gets too heavy and falls out yes. of the ceiling. Of the ceiling panels, yes. Which is that's I don't know, that's a that's a pretty great moment. Um, it's I think terrific. one of the reason people kept telling you this movie was like great is because it was so underseen and overhated for a long time. Um, yeah. This movie barely got released. It made less than a million dollars on a budget Oof. of like nineteen. And um, in an interview, uh, Abel Ferrara says that it was greenlit by a young exec who was apparently the guy they modeled Tim Robbins' character in The Player after. <laughs> Which, coincidentally, that's, more the than movie, ever. that's the movie I was watching during the 2016 election. I was like, Oof. I'm not going to watch these numbers come in. I'm just going to watch The Player. And then The Player ended, and then it became my least favorite movie of all time, not Yikes. by any fault of its own. But, um, oh no so anyhow uh the studio tried to the studio ended up wanting to fire this fire this young exec and whenever they do that you always shit can whatever movies they spearheaded so this movie yeah. sat on the shelf for a year and then was released solely to like second run theaters so that it yeah. could make as little money as possible which is yeah. exactly what happened to midnight meat train if you've ever seen that i've always wanted to it's great, and it only came out, I swear to God, it only came out in dollar theaters. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's Brad Coops, right? Yeah, Bradley Cooper, before he was Bradley Cooper, and yeah. back when I still loved him because I loved Kitchen Confidential with him. I don't know what that is. That okay. was a sitcom based on, um, who's that dead chef everybody loves? Anthony Bourdain? Yes, Anthony, okay. <laughs> Anthony Bourdain wrote a book called Kitchen Confidential about his life. They turned it into oh. a broad sitcom on Fox that starred really? Bradley Cooper as Anthony Bourdain. And I okay. was like the one person who watched it. And I was like, I love this Bradley Cooper guy. And then Midnight Meat Train came out and I was like, I got to see this. And I was like, it's only in dollar theaters. And then I had to like find a dollar theater to go and see Midnight Jesus. Meat Train in. Good Lord. Um, we are very off topic now, though. It's fine. <laughs> We're going to move on, though. Yes. Uh, to The Invasion in 2007, starring Nicole Kidman and Daniel Craig. Not really directed by Oliver Hirschbeigel, 
but probably really directed by James McTeague and the Wachowskis. It is unclear. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this is, I don't think we need to wait. This movie is mostly famous for lengthy reshoots reshoots, written by the Wachowskis, directed by James McTeague. Reshoots, reshoots, reshoots. Basically, basically what happened was Hirschbeigel turned in this uh, really weird esoteric uh, art film and executives were like, hi, we hate this. And to that, I have to ask, if you hate this, why did you hire Oliver Hirschbeigel, who is basically just known for a single location Hitler drama (laughs) called Downfall to make your big budget sci-fi horror film? Why do this? Why are you doing this? Joel Silver is possibly the worst possible person to produce this movie. He is... Sometimes he strikes gold. You know what he was thinking? Most times he's not smart, and he you probably know what, wanted a giant spider. You know what he was thinking? That, that's, um, that's the other guy. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, uh, whatever, jo- who cares? Joel Silver, coincidentally, is the man who invented Ultimate Frisbee. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> and uh, he produced uh, The Matrix, which is why oh, yeah. the Wachowskis and James McTeague got brought in. And yes. I bet he thought the same thing he thought. He's like... Well, I got these two weirdos who made this, you know, lesbian crime drama, and that worked out, so who knows? This guy's gonna get me my new Matrix. Sure, sure. um, Good idea, guy. Uh, So he basically made this unwatchable thing, (laughs) and uh, shooting from, like, really weird angles and, like, just very, very weird, weird stuff, and so they basically brought in the Wachowskis to rewrite this. And James McTeague to shoot it, who, you know, he was hot off of uh, V for Vendetta. It, yeah, it's and... unclear how much got reshot. I know yeah. they spent several weeks. There is one rumor that says up to 70% of the movie. I, I don't know if I buy that. I think the action elements were definitely added later. I think most of the restructuring happened in editing, because this is yes. a movie where you can really feel that the first... I don't know. The first 45 minutes of this movie, there's absolutely no rhythm to. It's constantly moving to the next thing. You're never sitting. You're never even introduced to characters. Like, Daniel Craig is just, like, driving a car at one moment. You're like, (laughs) oh, is this a cabbie? Is is this early Uber? And then you find out he's a doctor. And it's like, it's just always so unclear what's even going on, I think, early on in this movie. Let's get get down to brass tacks. This is a much different take on the Body Snatchers. Yes. A good uh, take. An interesting a, take. This is a very good take. Hits really differently mm-hmm. watching it now, <laughs> I'm guessing. Uh, because during one part, there is a... Uh, there's the uh, the headline about a dangerous flu virus coming across uh, CNN. With, yep. you know, 2,500 Americans diagnosed and... Uh, we're living in the time of COVID, and it's very, very much now. Uh, it's very much now in the fact that you have the CDC director saying, we already have a vaccine. It's fine. <laughs> yep. And the reporter goes, don't those usually take years? He's like, take my word for it. And then a bunch of Just aliens do that. puke into coffee cups to give to reporters to turn them into aliens. Yes. Uh, it's such a creepy and, moment. I love and that. And the CDC, directors, uh, CDC director is actually played by the guy from Mimic, 
Oh. Uh, he was Mira Servino's uh, husband in Mimic. I um, didn't recognize him. Oh, uh, yeah, I did right away because I watch Mimic a lot. Um, his ex-wife in this is played by Nicole Kidman. Mm-hmm. And I am such a mark for Nicole Kidman. <laughs> she's so good. I love her. I love her all the time. I think she's actually really good in this. Yes. Uh, it was cool seeing her. Uh, I mean, I have seen her in The Others. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was cool to see her in like a, a, like a modern horror film. Uh, and I think she, they're she plays playing... She a psychiatrist in this. Yeah. Uh, and... Go on. Oh, I, I think they're playing into Nicole Kidman's, I guess, persona, too. It's just that she has kind of an icy demeanor. She, yes, you know, in some films, she can but come she off. She pulls it off so well. Yes, slightly pod-like. And this movie is all about her starting out as a pod and essentially becoming more human well, as was, the movie this goes was on. Right, this is right around the time she did Stepford Wives, right? Mm-hmm. So she'd already played a pod. Yes, yeah, so obviously, you know, that's why they hired her for this. Uh, one of her patients is played by Veronica Cartwright. So good. I so love good. her. So good. <laughs> I've always loved her. I mean, I anything she does, I'll, I'll watch. I love Veronica Cartwright. But she's the patient who's like, my husband is not my husband. You always uh, have to have somebody like that. And I love the little scene in this where... Uh, it's a more modern movie, so obviously Nicole Kidman hops on the internet and she is Googling the phrase, you know, husband is not my husband, wife is not my wife, child is not my child. Mm-hmm. And she's just seeing all these hits on message boards because like, like people are rightfully freaking out. Yeah. I'm sure nowadays it would be her just jumping on Twitter to see like her timeline blowing up with like, uh, hey, my boyfriend's not my boyfriend anymore. I don't know what's going on. Or she just run into a bunch of fucking memes. <laughs> uh but i like this movie a lot like this happened recently where i watched a movie where people told me for years to avoid it Mm -hmm. uh oh it's a piece of shit don't watch it it's boring it's dumb uh i really love this Mm -hmm. uh the other movie i watched that everyone told me to avoid was beyond reanimator oh which i ended up freaking loving Mm mm-hmm that movie's really damn cool. I mean, of course, it takes place in a prison. Why wouldn't it? Why would he not be in jail? Uh, but no, this movie, it's really good. Like, the performances are solid. It's creepy as hell. It has Jeffrey Wright. It does. I feel a little bad for Jeffrey Wright, though. Jeffrey Wright is nothing is, but a human exposition machine in this movie. He is Johnny Exposition. I, you know what? He does it well. He does. And it's nice to see him and Daniel Craig together one year after Casino Royale. Yes. Um, yes. And, and you know that Daniel Craig was like, well, maybe get Jeffrey Wright. It's, we, we, we work together. So, you know, give him this role. I, again, I think I would, because I love the central idea of this movie. And the central hook of this telling of the story is that, hey, what if the pods are right? Yeah, and that is an amazing t- like if you're yeah. remaking Invasion of the Body Snatchers for a third time, you have to have mm-hmm. a new approach, and they came up with a new approach Very and one good that, new approach. Honestly, I had always thought as a kid, where I was like, I don't know, I I kind of like I like the pods. The pods have a point. Yeah, we are, and they definitely have a point in this. I mean, within days, there's world peace. <laughs> yes, and uh, which is pretty crazy. Uh, I also want to call out someone else who's in this cast. Yeah. Uh, Roger Rees. 
who plays, uh, he's a uh, foreign-like psychiatrist, and he meets up with uh, Nicole Kidman at a party. Yeah. Uh, the Sheriff of Rottingham from uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Terrific in this role. Uh, he passed away a few years ago. I miss hmm. him a lot. Uh, but no, he's fun in this. He is good. Uh, I, I have to imagine he good. had a larger role originally. He must have had a larger role, but this movie's good. The effects are good. Uh, I love the chase sequences in this. I love the scene where they get chased, where she gets chased down into a subway. Mm-hmm. And we're basically like, everyone else in the, in the car is like, don't show emotion. Just yeah. stop. But there's the people on the train who are like, no, 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 I'm going to freak out now. <laughs> yeah. I I love, I do love the goo vomiting instead of pops. Ugh, I think that's a really so gross. cool thing. I, uh, I like that. Yeah, I like the transformations in this. I like how you how she keeps waking up with like scabs. Yeah, because, and I, I, I really I don't know if it's because we don't know what the original version of this movie was because you know sometimes we always we, there's always an idea like oh the original it had to be good and they they could have been made this it, and they yeah. ruined it and. Honestly, the original might not have worked. I, I, audience, might have been really bad. I do want to see it because I do think the rhythm of this movie is a little off. I think you don't get that creeping paranoia. You don't get that sense no, of dread. This is just like this is just uh, insane from the start. And I feel like it almost doesn't even work if you haven't seen a invasion of the body. Like it relies on you having. Oh, without seen a doubt, it. yeah. Because Jeffrey it writes, relies it relies on it being a cultural phenomenon that you know about. Like, Jeffrey Wright's exposition comes, like, 30 minutes in, and it's just out of nowhere. He's like, oh, hey, I looked at that booger you sent us. I have figured out everything about how these pods work and how they reproduce, and this is it in very clear language. And that's the kind of thing that I feel was either a reshoot or came later originally. Um, If you watch the original trailer, it very much plays much more like the Kaufman one, where it's built Mm -hmm. around this paranoia. It's built around... These people are not the people that I'm used to. It's, I just, I, I wish it moved a little more slowly. And okay. you can tell the movie, you can tell there was talk behind the scenes to speed it up because they do this really awful flash forward thing several times in the movie where yes. people will be having a conversation and the movie doesn't trust that the audience isn't going to be like, I'm bored and just leave the theater. So they're like, <laughs> Don't worry, in like a minute, there's going to be a car chase. So we'll show you clips of the car chase while they're talking now, just so you'd stay in your seat. It's like, you fucking already got my $7. Like, you I'm already me, here. The movie opens with Nicole Kidman chugging a Mountain Dew. For uh, yeah. There is no fucking reason for that flash forward other than to be like, something's going to happen. But like. And then it immediately cuts to a CG spaceship crash, and then it immediately cuts to news footage, and then it immediately cuts to the beginning of the movie, and it's like, I don't need all this. I don't. I don't need to see Nicole Kidman chugging Mountain Dew. Like, yeah, I, I know. I know she's gonna be. I do. Not, however, you want to see that as the first thing in the movie? Hell yeah! I mean, it's funny. I like that. Get that but... product placement out of the way. <laughs> Let it move. I will say. I think the one take on Invasion of the Body Snatchers that hasn't been done, and I think I think there are elements where this movie leans into that a little, and I don't know if that was originally intended or if that was added or if that was just mm-hmm. juxtaposition of these two different styles. I would like to see a version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers that is a little comedic. 
I would okay. like to see a horror comedy invasion of the body snatchers. Apparently that was how the original film was the, uh, the fifties okay. one until they did a test screening. And when the execs heard people laughing, told them that they had to take out every joke in the movie because oh. they only want screams. And well, if you want to see a, a comedic take on this, uh, if you can track it down, you can check out the early 90s cartoon Invasion of the Bunny Snatchers starring Bugs Bunny. <laughs> okay. Right, instead maybe of, not we're that instead of pods, we're instead of pods, <laughs> they're giant carrots. That's pretty good. I like that. Um, but like I would like to see a little bit of social satire, a little bit more of what the pod yeah. world is like. Do some black comedy. Do those early scenes in Tim Burton's um, Planet of the Apes where that movie is actually working, where you're just seeing ape society and it's a twisted version of our society. I think there's a little bit of interesting value to that. And this Side movie, note, nothing yeah. in that movie works. Okay, but <laughs> this movie, I think, touches into it occasionally. Like, there's a, there's a good moment where Nicole Kidman just, like, chucks a kid into, a like, a bedpost. It's like, fantastic. There, there are moments of, like, camp joy and... I need either a little bit more of that or a little bit more of that creeping dread. Yeah. And instead I just get this like race to the finish line. You get this weird hybrid of like action horror. Yeah. Yeah. And I think and, it's, it's a sci-fi. little hurt by establishing so early on that their vaccine is not only possible, but extremely likely. Yeah. Because then the whole rest of the movie Every other invasion of the body snatchers is there is nothing you can do. These pods unless are you gonna... go to the original story. Yeah, where they in the original the story they fly have a... away at the end. No, in the original story, uh, the pod people have a five year lifespan. That's it. Oh, really? There's, they have a five year lifespan. They can't reproduce. Like they uh, can't se- like sexually reproduce with each other. I mean, that doesn't do us a lot of good though, because we're all pods and dead. Exactly. All pods, all dead. No more resources on the planet. You're done. Um, apparently, uh, but I do. I do love the ending of this movie. Where the ending of this movie is great. Where Jeffrey Wright is. Where well, just read a, read the read the newspaper. Look at the news. We're back to normal, for better or worse. The yeah. I, thematically Oof. speaking, I love the end of this movie because again, it reinforces the pods were right. We should be pods. Life would be better if we were pods. Yeah. And again, I, I really like that as a as a theme because the pods make a good argument. They're like, all right, yeah, you have an attachment to the extremes of your emotions, but is that just a fear of change? Wouldn't yes. the world be a better place if we all felt like we were one people? Honestly, I wish they hadn't before, introduced we're going to eugenics all of the immune people too. I was just going to say, before we close, I really want to talk about how I do like the fact that some people are immune. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really interesting touch uh, that hasn't been done in other Pod People movies. Yeah, I love the fact that Nicole Kidman's son is immune to this uh, space flu that turns you into a Pod person. Like that's really cool. Uh, what's not cool is that no, 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 we're killing them all. <laughs> I, 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 Yikes. I, I, I go Yikes. back and forth on whether or not I like that because I guess you know there's an element of me that feels like. They just wanted to soften the blow of pod people are right by saying, well, you know, the pod people are technically wrong because they are trying to, 
you know, eugenics our way out of this, which yeah. is actively <laughs> wrong. Monsters never die against eugenics. That's what we're coming Most to definitely. It, it does make it a more interesting question, I guess, all around of, are the pod people correct? Are humans correct? Mm. Is there a middle ground? Is there not a middle ground? Because the pod society, they are right. It would not survive if people were immune. True. And is that a flaw in the society? Are we just saying that pod people, like, are we just convinced by the pod people that it's a good idea? The movie doesn't necessarily give hard answers. I like that. That's that's an interesting topic. I don't know if dramatically the end works, though, because it's a car chase, and then they get to the helicopter, and then they're like, okay, BT Dubs, here's a bunch of news stories. It's a year later. Everyone's been vaccinated. And I just, I have no time to breathe. Yeah. Like. It kind of just happens, but I, they need to overall, at least, at least overall, land. I do somewhere. really like this movie. Yeah, I do really like this movie. It's uh, way better than its reputation would say. I I think it is an interesting swing and a miss, but I think it is an interesting enough swing that I I, I like it. Here's my hot take: I'll be revisiting this more often than the Abel Ferrara film. Uh, yeah. I could easily see myself revisiting this more often than that. I might be the opposite, but I do like this. It's it's an it's an it's an interesting movie. I it's pretty cool. I would love I would love to see literally any information about the original cut. I <laughs> I searched my ass off trying to find anything and really couldn't I think come the up. The closest with anything. you're gonna get to that is the trailer. Yeah, and even that maybe there's maybe like one shot in the trailer that isn't in the final film. Yeah, and. uh but yeah, I don't know. Invasion. Oh of the Bible. well. <laughs> these were these are all great movies. I, I I I like them all. Yeah, this is I they this, they should keep remaking them. I they, they make this, this rarely happens on Monsters Never Die where we like all of the movies. I mean, it, it sometimes happens there. I like all it's the rare. movies, but you, normally I think, <laughs> you like all the movies. I mean, honestly, given the current political climate, given. The way that Fox News and QAnon and conspiracies are poisoning people's brains and social media is, you know, all of our parents are getting racist on Facebook. They're becoming pod people. There is still movies to be made about this. There is still room left to talk about the subject. I think this is a concept that is not really ever going to die out. And I think this is proof that, like, Horror remakes. I'm shocked they haven't greenlit another remake. <laughs> but in the like past four years, I think this is proof that horror remakes are not always a bad idea. They're not always no. a soulish crash cash grab. They can be pretty damn good. Yeah, and you know, they you just need to take an approach that is slightly yeah. different. Just put a new spin on it. Anyway, uh, I think you and I have something we'd like to announce. Yeah, we've got some big, exciting announcements to make. Huge, exciting announcements. Your boy's got a sponsorship. That's right. This is officially a job. Yep. Uh, this show is brought to you by superyaki.com. And Jacob and I have a special treat tonight. Uh, we were recently joined by Andrew over at Superyaki. That's his uh, little child, his baby, if you will. And we got to sit down with him for a little bit and uh, I guess roll the tape. We have a very special guest tonight to say hello to everyone. It is Andrew Ortiz. He runs stuff over at Super Yaki. How are you, sir? Hey, how you doing? I am fantastic on this fine evening. Thank you guys so much for having me. Um, 
It was a real treat watching you, hearing you read this copy live in person. Uh, I loved it. Thank you so much. Um, I do my best. <laughs> I'd like to. I'd like to hire you to to read my last will and testament whenever I pass. I'll see what I can do. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Uh, no, uh, thank you guys so much for for having me on here. Uh, yes, this is actually pretty big uh, for me and Jacob. Uh, what do we have now, Jacob? What is that? Uh, sponsor, I believe that they're called in the yes. uh, old timey radio world. The old timey radio world, they call it a sponsor, and we have one. It's Andrew with Super Yaki, and I can't thank you enough. Uh, I'm, it's it's honest. It's an honor uh, to actually uh, to do this. I mean, I was saying off mic earlier that most of my shirts are super yucky, and now it's now I can like tell people when they see me wearing these shirts. I'm like, well, you know, I also have a podcast, and, and they sponsor my podcast. It's pretty cool. Uh, How'd you get into uh, the super yucky business? Uh, well, you know, I mean, first and foremost, um, it's a real pleasure. I'm I'm happy that, that that we can be giving back and 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 supporting you guys. Um, with so many shirts in the aforementioned collection, I feel like the least I could do is, uh, you know, send some of that money back to you to, to kind of break this podcast. So I appreciate it. Um, as far as uh, how I started the shop, uh, you know, it's not unlike um, how any other side business starts, right? I think um, um, in my particular position, I was kind of um, at a stalemate with the the career I had at that moment. And and it was a real dream come true job for me. Uh, I was actually working for the Alma Draft House Cinemas here in Houston. Okay. And uh, I was the special events manager there. And basically my job was to be the hype guy for movies and, and events that we were having there. And I really loved it and I enjoyed it immensely. But, you know, it, it, it sort of became um, more of a, of a job job and, and less of the um, romanticized vision that I had when I originally started. And that's not to knock the the job or, or the position itself because I really had a wonderful time. But there was a small part of me, a small itch that just had to be scratched by kind of pursuing something on my own. And I decided, hey, let's give it a shot. And so I started Super Yaki in 2016. And I did it on the weekends, on my free time, just to showcase movies and things that that I really love to to watch and I wanted to share with people. And here I am four years later, uh, luckily and very fortunate enough to be able to say that this is my main job. I do this, you know, full time. I, I recently quit the job I had, you know, during that time um, to dedicate to this shop completely. And, and it's um, it's beyond me how I'm still around. Right. Um, just given how, how goofy some of the stuff that we do is, I'm, I'm just thrilled that people have kept this around for so long. And but it's, and a, it's a great kind of goofy. I mean, I hope that's the case. I, I, I can't tell you how little thought goes into some of the things that we do. <laughs> and, um, but I appreciate that that everyone's kind of kept this around. And, and not just that, but but giving me an opportunity to do this full time, to dedicate myself to it full time, and to even start bringing in extra people to kind of help out uh, and really make this, you know, a, a real business, which is, you know, remarkable. And, and I appreciate it. It's, it's the coolest thing. I mean, not on... Honestly, before Super Yaki, I wouldn't really like buy shirts online. Wow! Like it, it was like one of those like I would get them every once in a while, and then you know they wouldn't fit, they wouldn't feel right. But I mean, everything is just so comfy. It's 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 pretty yeah. wild. And I mean, there's some shirts that I have that are just like the most fun, coolest design. I mean, 
once a week I'll wear the uh, League of Their Own shirt, the Dream Team. Yeah, that's going back. And it's such a fun shirt. Uh, my mom ordered the uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood shirt. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. It's, it's I, crazy I thought, that I'll like visit her and she'll be wearing it. I'm like, oh, you did get that, didn't you? <laughs> Matt, I really hope that that you get a photo and your mom allows us to share that because I'd love to to have like a like a moms for Super Yaki subgroup, you yes. know, with your mom and my mom. Um, oh yeah, uh, my mom could get all over this. There you go. <laughs> on let's get all our moms in here that that was always the original goal behind this was to make products that our moms would approve of you know if the rock ends up on any article of clothing i guarantee you will have at least one purchase from my mom well i mean you heard it here first folks we're gonna make a the rock shirt for an audience of one and that's jacob's mom that's that's all we're gonna do <laughs> If it could just say Jacob's mom hearts the rock with a picture of the rock, you know, that's, that's I think that's. I mean, everyone um, always always asks, you know, hey, that's crazy. Why why are you making things that are so niche? And this really would be the most niche design we yes. made, right? Um, no, I mean, I, I appreciate it, Matt. That, that's it's really nice to hear. Um, I spend so much time in the weeds of of planning and production and, and organization that. I forget that there are, um, you know, people who actually really enjoy buying the shirts and wearing the shirts. Um, it, it sounds kind of goofy for me to, to think about, you know, people earnestly uh, um, enjoying these things sometimes. Um, but it's important that, that we make stuff that we would want to wear, that we would want to to um, to showcase, right? It, it's yeah. not necessarily about, hey, let's make a shirt that's going to make us a, a billion dollars or anything, but more of like, Hmm. You know, the world doesn't have enough Judy Greer merchandise. So what can we do to change that? And and I think um, that's where if, if we've been able to find any success, it's it's in pursuing, you know, interests that we are uh, genuinely excited and passionate about. And and at the the very tippy top of that is definitely, you know, a campaign for Judy Greer. You, you mentioned, you know, that you guys want to do things that are niche. You want to do things that are personal. And I think that's the thing that I like so much about your products is that there is so much like basic film nerd bro-y kind of t-shirts out there. And these are very specific and singular and not something that you would find anywhere else. Um, I love the, uh, I've got the Florence Pugh made marmalade shirt that I bought while drunk and waiting in line to go see kids in the hall brain candy. Yeah. And you guys had the 24 hour <laughs> release and I was like, shit, I need this. And yeah. instantly bought it while trying to buy my popcorn before that movie started. Um, I just, I, I, I love that kind of approach that, uh, you know, do you have any personal favorites, some ones that you thought that maybe oh, yeah. people wouldn't go for, but you were pleasantly surprised to find that people felt just as passionately about you yeah. know, Elizabeth Debicki being tall. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, honestly, all of them, um, all of them just surprised me that there's an audience for them. Uh, it, it is pretty crazy. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, I hate to go back to it, but the, the Judy Greer campaign definitely was um, kind of a turning point for us. Um, we had kind of reached a, a little plateau uh, early on in, in, in the business where, you know, you really have to keep making stuff, new stuff constantly in order to, to kind of, um, you know, keep your name out there. Um, and we weren't really sure what direction to go in. So I decided, you know, to just double down on, on, on stuff that I felt really, you know, excited about. And, and I thought, you know what, if this is the end of Super Yaki, if this is where we, where we reach our, our, our stalemate, 
I want to end it on a, on a Judy Greer campaign. Um, and it's it's crazy because after that, it really took off and it kind of gave us a second life. Um, and it wasn't like an overnight success thing. It was just kind of one of those things where uh, people caught on to it and they they liked it. And they I, I guess they enjoyed how sincere and earnest it was because I, I wouldn't want I wouldn't want to make anything that didn't have that genuine earnestness to it. Um, because, again, we we are. We are far from perfect, but we, we would definitely not settle for low-hanging fruit just for the sake of, you know, um, making something that everyone would agree with, right, or would want to want to purchase. So we try and do and we try and do and make stuff that is uh, uniquely tailored to uh, an audience of one, and that is me and my interests, um, and, and I guess the, the general brain trust around Supriyaki, right? We would just try and do fun stuff together. So uh, short answer is. Um, yeah, all of it. All of it is crazy that people people want to buy and support. I mean, our our, our goal has always been, you know, to to just shed some some light and, and um, appreciation for you know some of the lesser revered stuff, right? I mean, and have fun with it. Exactly. Yeah, and, and that's all we really want to do. Um, you know, I'll be honest that that for me, there's a very low bar for for what I would constitute is a good movie, right? Um, mm-hmm. I would say about 80% of what I watch is, yeah, it's pretty good. I liked it, right? And then there's about 5% that just wasn't for me. And then there yeah. is, you know, the the upper echelon of stuff that's just remarkable that I would die for, right? But I just really like watching movies and I really like going to movies. And, and I think that there's a really vibrant community of people who, um, you know, like to talk about uh, these things as well. But for us, it's always just been about, let, let's make fun, you know, positive stuff. Um, God, I sound like such a grandma, but just make, you know, really, <laughs> really fun stuff that, that people would be excited to, to share. Because I don't think I'm able to, to you know, reserve my, my giddiness for, for something or someone that I feel really uh, passionate about. So um, that's why I'm yeah. really excited to be, you know, here with you guys and supporting you guys, because I think that uh, what you're doing is, is you know, giving uh, um, an audience to some of these, you know, lesser movies that that I guess, well, I don't want to say lesser, but to some of these movies that don't get the same recognition that, that they would in, in this um, kind of um, conversation, right? Um, I mean, not a lot of people are going to be talking about Grizzly or Elves. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, there, and people need it hear about this stuff and you know they need to hear about Grizzly or Elves and 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 it's uh it's if a movie is something that you enjoy earnestly and comes from a positive place and comes from a, a place of appreciation you know who's to say if it's a bad movie or a guilty pleasure right I mean I don't want to get you know ahead of myself or anything because there's certainly room for criticism and, there, and there's room to critique a movie where mm. um you know it might be offensive in nature but if you're just really excited about watching I don't know Shrek the Third, or or you really like, you know, Mr. Bean's Holiday, which is me in, in this case, <laughs> um, you know, and it comes from a, of a of a place of enjoyment that, you know, why 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 not, you know, want to share that with people, right? Because who knows, maybe there's someone else out there who agrees with you. That purity and enthusiasm and joyfulness comes through so strongly in all of your guys' social media and all of your guys' products, and it's something I really respond to and relate to, and it's just. It's a soothing balm in a, a world that is so often needs Not to be soothing. right or correct or pretentious or angry or justified. It's just super yakky is there and it shines like the sun. Thank you. I, I, I'm going to put that on my tombstone and I really appreciate <laughs> that. And, and I, I'm happy to share, 
you know, uh, whatever success that we've come across um, in, in helping, you know, fund this this endeavor for you guys, because I think that we are of the same ilk, right? We, we, we might enjoy things differently or, or different things in general, but I think we're all coming at it from a similar perspective, right? Which is just, man, I, I really love movies, right? I just really love them and I love to talk about them and I love to think about them and I love to, you know, just be a part of a, of a conversation around them. And, and I'm happy- Movies, movies are pretty good. Yeah, yeah, not bad. I mean, I've what can I say? They're, they're pretty. They're pretty good things. Yeah. We recently broke the hundred movie, hundredth movie we talked about on Monsters Never Die, and oh, yeah. I still think the only one that had no support from either me or Matt is Leprechaun Origins. Yeah. So like ninety nine great movies, and then one that we just can't agree on. Yeah, yeah. One, yeah that's that's pretty good. That's a great ratio. That's a good yeah. ratio. Uh, pretty good. I've seen Leprechaun Origins. Uh, I, I'm. No. I, I'm curious, but you know, I don't know if 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 I've ever found the right time to dive into that one. There are seven better Leprechaun movies to watch, so yes. you know if you have that time in your life. Okay, good to know. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, uh, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a pleasure and an honor and a lot of fun, and we hope to have you back another time. I would love it, guys. Thank yeah, you so we'd much. love to talk movies with you sometime. Yeah, let's do it. I mean, uh, my 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 well of conversation goes pretty deep, you know. Uh, <laughs> I can say The Mummy's good. I can say The Mummy Returns is good. I can say The Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor is pretty good, too. So, you know, I'm just throwing it out there. If you guys ever want to talk about The Mummy, let me know. Well, no, but, thank you guys so much. I, I really appreciate the opportunity. I, I wish you nothing but the best of luck. And I would love to come back and, and, and talk more in depth about something that you know, I, I, I know what I'm talking about. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, Till next guys. Time. Till next time. Good luck. All right. So, you know, just go out and make sure to, um, you know, just check their stuff out. I, like I said, um, you know, I really can't overemphasize how much I genuinely love their stuff. This yes. is not us selling out. This is 100% oh shit, a guy who we love is asking to sponsor things and we really wanted to be a part of that. Yeah, so, it's it's not like, you know, we're not brought to you now by some random-ass headphone company. Coming up next month, uh, we have another big surprise for everyone. It's our one-year anniversary. Aww, this is what, paper? The Aww. paper anniversary? Uh, sure, sure it is. <laughs> I'll, write you a, I'll write you a letter, Jacob. Okay, thank you. And uh, too bad it won't get to you on time because the Postal Service is dying. Uh, go buy some stamps, everyone. Uh, before we leave, where can we find you on the interwebs? Uh, you can find me online at Jacob underscore DeNoble. That's me on Twitter, on Letterboxd, on Instagram, if you want to follow me on there. And um, that's about it. And as for me, you can find me everywhere at the Real Matt C. I try to keep it, keep it easy. The Real Matt C. Uh, like we said at the beginning of the show, Monsters Never Die is brought to you by Super Yaki. So that's a thing. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's what's a pretty that? awesome... Th what's that? What's that? Uh, and uh, what's that code again? That people Super can... Monster. Super Use Monster. Use the code Super Monster to get 10% off your order over at superyaki.com. So until next time, stay spooky. Stay spooky.